0: Uh, hiding place. And uh, the theme verse in um, Psalm 91, I think works extremely well with uh, the message today. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. When we get in, my, uh, my assignment today is Jehovah Makedesh, which means my sanctifier. And as we get into this, I think hope that you make the connection with these verses. Whoever dwells in the shelter of Jehovah Makedesh will rest in the shadow. The rest is a key word in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Those words are so powerfully connected to this name of God that uh, I hope, That God will give me the grace to somehow communicate effectively what this name of God is all about. Let's take a look at... uh the word covenant, because all of these names are tied in with this idea of covenant, God's covenant with us, which probably in our modern English language is most like contract, but it's not really contract in the form that we tend to see it in that all that legal kind of thing where we're, we're holding somebody to something, and if they slip up a little bit, then we can break that contract and maybe get ahead. That's not God's heart at all with covenant. So in the Bible, covenant is an agreement. Between between God and his people, and I want you to note that and try to see the connection with Jehovah Makedesh between God and his people in which God makes promises to his people. Powerful stuff. I have to tell you, I had so much fun doing this study. Uh, In all the years that I've preached, I've never preached on this name of God. I've never done this study before, so I'm really thankful for it. So we're going to just dive right in, and, uh, and uh, I hope that you'll be blessed like I was. So let's take a look at uh, this name of God, Jehovah Makedesh, my sanctifier. Point number one, the Lord, my sanctifier, resolves the greatest dilemma. Let that soak in just a little bit because we're going to have a lot of fun with this. There is an ultimate dilemma in the universe in this name of God, which expresses his nature, his character, resolves that dilemma. One of the fun things about this name, um, Makedish is that it's tied to a a root word in the Hebrew that takes on various forms. I mean, even the the way you pronounce it is up for grabs because it's spelled different ways. There's variations on the spelling of it, and not everybody agrees on the proper pronunciation. I'm just going with the If you want to do it different, help yourself. You're not going to have any problem with me. Uh, But... (laughs) It it has to do with sanctify, it has to do with holy, Uh, those words are all from the same root. Do you realize in the Old Testament, this word in some form shows up over 700 times? Some of the other names of gods, you may see only a couple of times throughout the Old Testament in in the Hebrew language, over 700 times. One one, uh, scholar I was reading said, there is no Word in the old testament and and no name of God that more truly expresses the core of his nature than this one it 's like this is the theme of the old testament it 's the holiness of god it 's the sanctity of God we 've we got to put that into the equation so i 'm quoting here from Uh, in New Living Translation from Psalm 14, 2 and 3. But I wanted to make note that Paul, in the most theological of all of his writings, the book of Romans, quotes this verse almost word for word the way we find it in Psalms. And here it is. The Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. But no, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. you got to get that idea. And, and, And what he's saying there is not that everybody is bad as they possibly can be. That's not the point at all. The point is this. God, and this is what this name is, God wants contact with people. He wants a real connection between us. So here's the dilemma. You've got a God who's ultimately holy, in every aspect, he's, he's perfect, he's sanctified, and he wants a close, personal, intimate relationship with human beings, which is made impossible because of sin. So what he's saying is there isn't a person on the planet, in any generation that preceded us, or today, or in the future, that's going to meet up those requirements to have that face-to-face kind of relationship with a holy God. It's just, it just it hasn't happened. In all of history, with one exception, which is Jesus, and we'll talk about that later. He's the only exception to this verse. And so that's kind of the foundational concept that we begin with. And so there's this dilemma that God wants contact with people. And I think all of us deep within, in some way, we want contact with God. But there's this obstacle that we can't get beyond. And when you think about it, the greatest love stories in, in all of history have this kind of theme to them. There's like these two people that are really different from each other, and somehow they find each other and they fall in love, and then there's some kind of insurmountable obstacle that gets in their way that try to block to try to make that relationship not work. You know, Joan is a big Nicholas Sparks uh, reader and uh, he's a great romance writer, and I know that because once in a while she'll say to me, you need to read this. <laughs> so I know all about the notebook, and, and, and you know, hey, he's a great writer. He's a good, good storyteller, but you'll see that theme played out. In some variation, you know, it might be dementia, it might be a war, it might be some other relationship, it might be some person trying to block, you know, you're not good enough for my daughter kind of thing. But there's some kind of huge obstacle trying to force these people apart, and yet somehow, you know, in their, in their stubborn love, they refuse to let that obstacle remain in place, and they find a way around it, and they get and they spend their life together. That's the, that's the whole concept. When, when you hear this word sanctify, our mind tends to go toward being good, right? It's about being good. Larry, let's back up. I skipped over my definition of, of sanctify, but here's, here's where it begins. The meaning of sanctify, to dedicate or separate, to set apart for a special purpose When you're you're sanctified, it means to be uncommon in a good way. I don't know much about being an electrician. I have gotten shocked a few times trying to change light switches and that sort of thing. But I know this. If you install a dedicated power line to something, it means it's only going to be used for one purpose, right? If it's dedicated, that means you're not going to be siphoning off power from that line for a variety of different things. It's like it's going to be used for that one thing and it's dedicated to that. That's what sanctify is about. It's set apart, it's, it's separated, and that's what holy means, set apart, separated for a special purpose, uncommon in the best sense of the word. And that's what God is saying. It's a promise. I will do this for you. I will do that for you so that we can have the relationship that I long to have with you. So he sets it right. That's what he's saying, you know. The human race has messed this up, messed it up badly, but God is going to set it right. He's resolving that ultimate dilemma that separates human beings from him. Let's go on to the second one. Isn't that awesome? I mean, when you think about it, it just... Mm. the Lord, my sanctifier, is a relational God. This kind of follows on that first point. He's a relational God, but everything about the Bible is driving to this point. And that's what makes him different from all all the other gods in the universe that human beings have, have manufactured in their own minds. He is such a relational God. He wants to have that contact with human beings, something inside me and inside of you, I suspect, longs for that contact with God. This is the, the only way it can happen is that we have Jehovah Makedesh, the God who sanctifies us and makes that possible. So let's look at, the, at three Scripture verses that talked about this relational God. It, from Exodus 34, 14, You must worship no other gods, for the Lord, whose very name is Jealous... That's, a, that's an interesting one right there. His very name is Jealous. That's another name. Is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. He's passionate about a relationship with us. And jealous in the, the best possible understanding of what that word is all about. It's, it's, he wants a special kind of relationship with us. He's jealous for that. Don't give your affections to some other God, of figment of your imagination. I want to have that relationship with you and nothing else going on. He's a relational God. Let's go to the next one in Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 7 and verse 6. For you are a holy people. There's that word, okay? You're, you're a special, set-apart, dedicated people who belong to the Lord your God, uh, there's some key words in here that, that we're going to take a, a moment just to talk about. Holy is one of them. Belong is another one. Of all the people on the earth, the Lord your God has here's another one chosen you to be another his own special treasure. okay? Holy, belong, chosen, special. all play into this idea of Jehovah Mekadesh. He's chosen us, He's set us apart. He's called us. Remember Abraham and his whole story. You know, if you'll obey me and you'll go, you know, just to step out in faith and go where I send you. I'm going to make a great nation of you. Your name is going to be a blessing to everybody on the face of the earth. I've chosen you. That wasn't just a. It, it was a promise that God made to make this happen. His own special treasure. Incredible. Sometimes the word belong um, upsets us a little bit. You know, we don't want to belong to somebody because it kind of has a feeling of being controlled. You know, I, I want somebody, I'm not a puppet on somebody's string. I don't want that, but you, you have to, let me put it this way. I think if you can grasp this is a really good model for a marriage. Okay. Let me just make it really clear, clear. Joan belongs to me. Okay. Don't, don't mess with that relationship. I belong to her. I wear this ring as a statement to anybody who happens to glance on my left hand. We, I belong to her. She belongs to me. That's a promise we made to each other. And, uh, and I'm, it's not that I want to control her life. If you know Joan, it's not possible. <laughs> she is her own person. <laughs> and over the years, I've gotten okay with that. <laughs> uh, we, yeah, we have less. I, I, we have conflict. But we have less conflict in our marriage today than ever before because as the years have gone by, we've just learned to be okay with each other's weaknesses. All right, It's not that I've gotten better or that she's gotten better. We're still pretty much, I mean, hopefully we've gotten somewhat better. But the, the real change has been in our heads where we've been able to accept the fact that there's going to be those imperfections and we don't have to fix those in order for us to have a fun, loving relationship. That's what this is. You and I are imperfect. And in this world, in this body, in this lifetime, that's not going to change. But God has somehow, and I can't even explain this to you. It's beyond my intellect to explain to you how Jehovah Makedesh sets that right so that I can have a relationship with him that's not torn apart by constant conflict. And, and, and sadly, the church has made Jehovah Makedish, the guy who carries a club around, always looking for an opportunity to to let us know how rotten we are to the core. And it's, that's flipped it completely on his head. That's not what this is all about. He's our sanctifier, but he does the sanctifying. We want to make it, if I get good enough, then I can enter into that contact Kind of relationship with God, and it is not that at all. It's a promise on His end, and He's going to make it happen. It's awesome. It's incredibly awesome. And and here's here's another point that needs to be made. In the Old Testament, I told you about the 700 times this is used, this word holy, sanctify, all that sort of thing. It is about being good to some degree, and we're going to come to that on the last point. But it's more than that. The meaning is much deeper, and that part about being clean and being good, uh, uh, being sanctified, that's an important part of it, too. But unless you put it into this context, it just doesn't make sense. So today, we're New Testament, right? And we, so we like to point to 1 John where it says God is love. And so we tell you, it's like we base our whole theology on that one verse, God is love, to the point I've, made, I've talked about this before where we almost flip it and, and make it love is God. And so then, as long as there's love, then God's in it. And then we define love however we feel like defining it. And our definition of love becomes our definition of God. And that doesn't work either because then you totally ignore the most basic concept of the Old Testament, which is God is holy. And so, what's really amazing about this to me is that God's love in no way diminishes His holiness and his holiness in no way ever diminishes his love. And until you can see God in both of those realms, a holy God who is perfectly loving, you don't know God. I'm sorry. You, you're, not, you're not getting it. You're not, you don't understand his nature and what it's all about. It's the combination of those two that gives this power. We want to eliminate the need for sanctification because God's so loving, doesn't matter how we behave. You can't do that and be true and faithful to the Scripture and to the nature of God. He does care about holiness. He can't help it. And without holiness, Old or or New Testament, without holiness, you're not going to see God. This is how we get there. He's our sanctifier. He makes us whole. Let's go to one more verse. In Deuteronomy, this is the Shema, called the Shema in the Jewish tradition. It's like the John three sixteen of the Old Testament. This is the most quoted phrase uh, among Orthodox Jews and many people who who are, uh, understand the Old Testament. In fact, Jesus, in fact, said this. Is one of the most important. This is like. The, the top. I mean, somebody asked him, "What's the most important uh, thing about God in, in the Bible?" This is what Jesus quoted. Okay, listen, O Israel. This is this is what they they chant. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God. I love this. Is our God the Lord alone? And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Why is that important? One big reason: He's a relational God. And so it covers every facet of our relationship with him. Incredible depth and breadth and width and height to this idea of being. You know, I've tried, I've tried to preach on this, you know, loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, make a different point of each of those, all your strength, that kind of stuff. You know, when you really study it out, those, it doesn't matter so much how I love him with my strength. What matters is he's saying, I want all of you. I want your whole heart. I want a relationship that pervades your life, not on Sunday mornings only, but Monday, Tuesday, all through the week, every part of your life, whatever you're doing. I want your love. I want, I want the relationship. I want to be there with you. I've got to move on. There's, there's still some good stuff to come. Let's go on to, to the next point. The Lord, my sanctifier, created us for a destiny. Notice I've underlined us for a reason, because... You can't study this out and come to conclusion this is about good old rugged American individualism. It's about the group. It's about community. It's about us together. You can apply it personally, and you should do that. But if that's only application, you're missing a big part of what God's trying to say to us. All right, so if you were to ask me, is there a golden thread that weaves itself all through Scripture, I mean, like one singular idea, I think there is. And in all the reading I've done, I've never seen anybody say this, but I just keep stumbling across a common theme occurs again and again and again. I'm going, from like from the beginning to the end of Scripture, I think it's kind of like this almost hidden... Golden thread that, that goes through. Exodus chapter, I'm going to give you five illustrations of what I mean. And, and the phrase is this I will be your God and you will be my people. I, I think that that's, that captures the essence of the Bible. I will be your God, you will be my people. So let me show it to you. Exodus chapter 6 and verse 7. I've chosen to do all these in, in the message translation. I like Eugene Peterson's way of handling it. So, and I've underlined it to make it easy for you. I'll take you as my own people and I'll be God to you. So in this setting, um, God's talking to Moses still, um, he's on his way to Egypt to uh, fulfill this, um, requirement, this command that God has given him to release the people. And Moses is still struggling with it. So God's putting words in his mouth. All right. So I want you to go and I want you to tell the people this, I'll take you as my own people. And I'll remember they're slaves, right? And every day, they're in the bur- under the burden of the hot sun and the slave drivers, and, uh, and, and it's, it's taking its toll on them. I'll take you as my own people, and I'll be God to you. You'll know that I am God, your God, who brings you out from under the cruel, hard labor of Egypt. So I'm going to prove this to you. This is not just, not just empty words. I, I'm going to show you the relationship that I want with you, but ultimately, here it is. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. Let's go to Leviticus. This is interesting, too, because in this, in this uh, section of chapter 26, God is talking about the blessings that he's going to bring on the people if they will be responsive and loving to him and set him apart as God. I'll stroll through your streets. I mean, literally, it talks about, I'm going to walk with you, in another translation. I'll stroll through your streets. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. He's so relational, and this is the relationship he wants. He want, he doesn't want to be our best friend in the sense of buddy buddy. We're talking about he wants to be our God. and he wants us to be his people. And like when parents and children get okay with that idea, some are parents is not not you know I'm necessarily my best friend. And you know when I'm a third grader, um, but a parent and a child and the relationship in its purest form. That's what I'm. Be your God. You'll be my people. Let's go to the prophets. So those two are in, the, in the, uh, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. I want to show you two in, in the prophets, Jeremiah first. It's plain and simple. And Jeremiah here is prophesying about the, uh, the king of Babylon is going to come, and he's going to take you away into captivity in a distant land for seven years, 70 years, and all that's coming down. But in the middle of all of that, he said, "But there's going to be a time when it's going to reverse." And God's going to bring you back to this city of Jerusalem. We're going to rebuild it. And in the process, we're going to get where I've wanted to go all the time. And that is, you'll be my people and I'll be your God. That was the whole whole point of the thing. It's like, um, you know, if I can't have this kind of relationship with you, then I'm going to let you experience the pain of you doing it your way. But ultimately... We're going to come back together, and we're going to get this thing right. So Ezekiel is another illustration of this. Jeremiah and Ezekiel were somewhat contemporaries around this piece of history where uh, the king of Babylon was hauling the people of, of uh, Israel off uh, to, to slave labor. So never again, Ezekiel 37, never again will they pollute their lives with their no-God idols and this is interesting, too, because literally in, in, in the Old Testament Hebrew, the word idols means no God. It's just like it was hyphenated that way. Just re, you could take idols out of there and get the full meaning. it Fill their lives with their no gods and all those vile obscenities and rebellions. I'll save them out of their old sinful haunt, haunts. I'll clean them up. There is that aspect to it. I'll clean them up. They'll be my people. I'll be their God. Are you getting that? I mean, we could do more of these, but let me take you to one final one. And guess where it is? The last book of the Bible, book of Revelation, next to the last chapter, chapter 21 and verse 3. Here's John, this vision. He's in heaven. And this is what he says. I heard a voice thunder from the throne. Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. Remember Leviticus? I'm going to walk the streets with you. God has moved into the neighborhood, making his home with men and women. They're his people. He's their God. You know, I never saw this until this week when I was looking at that, and it suddenly struck me. All of the other references say, I will. You will. I will be your God. You will be my people. When you get here, look how it's It's done. They are his people. He is their God. It's like John seeing the finished thing here, and that's why the, it's like, look, 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 look. All of that promise that we've been talking about for so long, look, it's done. Here it is. God's moved into the neighborhood. He's, he's living beside us. This, this is the relationship he wants. He is our God. We are his people. I mean, this just gives me chills to think about it. It's, it's, in heaven, it's already done. And we're going to walk into the fulfillment of that at some point in our experience. Isn't that the coolest thing? So what all this adds up to is we're people of destiny. We've been chosen. We've been purposed. God wants to show us. He's, he's, he, he's selected the people that will allow him to show his love in, in, the, in the way that he wants to and relate back to him in the way that he wants that relationship to go. It's an awesome, awesome thing. There's a verse in uh, in the New Testament, First Peter two nine, that captures this so beautifully. There, it's some people want to say this this can be true of every single human being. We're all children of God, you know. It's, it's all going to work out the same. All roads lead this, but the Bible doesn't paint that picture at all. And here Peter is saying, but you are not like that. And we're not going to take time to back it up. But if you go and look at the verses that precede, you'll see the kind of things that are not okay with God and the kind of people lifestyle that, have, that are in that relationship that he can't enter into. You're not like that for you are a chosen people. You're like royal priests. You're a holy nation. God's very own possession. Remember remember back in fourth grade, Valentine's, when you get by that little packet of candies, heart candies, and they all had little words printed on them? And one of the, be- one of the best ones is, be mine, right? So, I mean, if, if you're a fourth grader and some cute little girl comes and put a be mine candy heart on your desk, it's like, wow. <sighs> That's a pretty big deal. Do you remember that? Am I the only one? very own possession there's something in us that loves that and longs for that and again it's not like it's not it's not about God wanting to control every thought word and action of our lives it's about the relationship of embracing us and who we really are and us doing the same to him and by the way not only does God sanctify people he wants us to sanctify him in the very same sense of the word. I mean, not to make him clean. We're not going to change him in any way. But apart to set him apart, like he's the only God, right? Remember the Shema, Deuteronomy 6. six, uh, uh, six. It, it's, it's like setting, making him above every other God, including all the no-gods that we tend to worship and love so much. Setting him apart is very, very special so that He's involved in every part of our lives. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. It's special. special. Yeah, it's an incredibly beautiful thing. All right, let me wrap up with this fourth uh, idea about Jehovah Makedesh. The Lord, my sanctifier... And if I can just pause to make a point here, I've capitalized the word Lord. Um, and if you if you look throughout the, the Old Testament, if you've got one of the newer translations, you'll see this from time to time. In fact, pretty frequently, L-O-R-D. And the, when, whenever you see that, it's the way the translators have chosen to identify the word we pronounce Jehovah. But in, in the Hebrew language, it's only four letters, Y-H-W-H. There are no vowels in it. And so at some point the pronunciation of that down through history got lost in some past generation. And the Jewish people stopped pronouncing that name of God because they didn't want to accidentally take his name in vain. And so they, but we've added all some, some call, it, uh, they translate it Yahweh, others translate it Jehovah. It's the same four Hebrew letters, but we've, the, 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 the translators have capitalized it. When you see capital L-O-R-D, that's that name. That's that Jehovah name. He makes me clean. So this is where we're going to land as we wrap this up. That aspect of sanctify and make holy is in there. But please try to understand it in this way. He makes us clean. Some, something about us likes to be clean. I, I, I've taken more showers since we moved to Florida than ever... <laughs> It's like you walk outside and you get sweaty. I ne- I, in my life, I never, I never took four showers a day before. But <laughs> there's something special about Florida. And uh, <laughs> it, if you, if you want to smell good, you know, and uh, feel all right, uh, you want to be clean. As I, I was uh, thinking about this, I was reflecting back to when I was a youth pastor. Okay, now this is a piece of ancient history here. For four years, in Akron, Ohio, I was a youth pastor. And we didn't have any kids then. Joan and I, we just did everything together. And we had a lot of fun. We came up with the craziest ideas. I'll never forget the time we did Ice Cream Olympics. And uh, uh, that's another story. Uh, What I wanted to talk about was the time we did the mud party. So... um, um, Akron, Ohio is not Florida, right? It, the soil is not sandy. If you try to do a mud party here, the water would just be gone before you get your feet wet hardly. But there, you could make some serious mud. So um, the church had a pretty good piece of land, and, uh, and I hauled in some good old topsoil, and we dug a pit, and we made, we made a mud pit of all mud pits. And I was determined to have fun with this. So, um, I mean, if you stepped in you'd go up to your knees, so it was it was good, it was thick, but it was just sloshy enough okay so we had we did uh, uh, we did uh, uh, rope you know the rope pull kind of thing tug of war and uh, so that 's what we started out with because nobody wanted to be the first one to get muddy, so we made we, you know, everybody had to swear to this pact that if they got pulled in, they would go in okay they wouldn 't run sideways when they got to, to the edge of the mud pit so it all avoided they work hard and ultimately one team got pulled into the mud pit and then that that started the fun and we all got going by the time I jumped in with them and by the time we were done we were literally covered with mud from head to toe you know what it's like to have your hair full of mud I was one I really had hair back then and uh I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. You can't even, you can't even wipe the mud out of your eyes because your hands are so full of mud. And uh, we had a blast, but I, I can tell you this, we had hoses ready because it wasn't long until everybody wanted the mud washed off, right? You don't want to, it was a blast doing it, but you don't want to stay that way. And by the way, just a tip uh, for moms, you will never get that underwear clean once they have been in the mud pit. Never. It doesn't matter what you do to it. spurn it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was also kind of interested in. Uh, there's a lot of anybody know Pope Francis is in the United States. All right, you heard. Okay. Size. So I was looking at some of the stuff, you know, all kinds of stuff going on. And there was this one thing that caught my attention. So somebody had visited Rome, and they they had seen that uh, there on the back side of the Vatican, uh, there were a bunch of shower stalls. And the story turned out that when Pope Francis... Um, w- 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 to, took on that role, uh, he, he has this fund to work with to meet the needs of people, and they were accustomed to uh, feeding homeless people. They had a schedule set up like that. He made the suggestion, why don't you ask them what they want? Guess what they wanted? Showers. And so he made that happen for them. Well, we like to be clean, right? We like to. And spiritually, there's nothing. I've been thinking a lot about the presence of God lately. And one reason why I love if you've ever experienced that, those moments when you just you're like bathed in the glory you know one of the one of the things about it is in that moment you feel clean and every, it's like God has made it right everything is okay you just have that feeling of cleanness in his sight he does that for us that's what his presence is all about. And here's how it happens. Romans three twenty three and 24. For everyone is sin. We've all gotten dirty. We've all fall short of God's glorious standard. And again, it's not about us being the worst that we can possibly be. It's just that we have fallen to the point that we cannot, in our fallen state, have that personal, intimate relationship with God. Yet God, verse 24, freely and graciously it declares that we are sanctified. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Jason said every single sermon, each one of these names of God pointed to Jesus in the New Testament. It's right here. It couldn't be more plain. Through Christ, Jehovah Makedesh. One more verse to wrap up. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ, Jehovah Mekedesh. I dare you, I honestly dare you to try to fully comprehend Jehovah Makedesh and not be brought to tears. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. I found myself getting caught up in the emotion of this as I really it started to dawn on me, the power of this name of God. I mean, I've never been loved like that before. And I know I'll never be loved like that by anybody else. And some of you here this morning just need to, do you have any idea how special you are to God. So much so, he's found a way around all of the obstacles you and others have created in your life to block that relationship with him. And he's here this morning saying, I still want that. If you've never accepted Jesus into your life, the Scripture couldn't be more plain. That's what this is about. He's not calling you to make promises, okay, I'll never do that again. I'm going to be a better person. This is not about action on your part. There's only one thing that he wants, and you can do it in a moment here. And that is to believe in Jesus as the New Testament, Jehovah Makedish, he's that expression of God that sanctifies you so you can have that relationship with God and feel you'll feel the most special. You will understand destiny and purpose for your life like never before because that's what it is for all of us collectively. Awesome, awesome, God. I want to give you an opportunity. We're going to close in just a moment. I want to give you an opportunity to receive Christ into your life this morning if you haven't done that. Could I have every head bowed here for just a moment, just a private moment? I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand if you want, would like me to pray with you this morning and, uh, and just, just express, uh, again, this is more for you and for God than it is for me and anybody else. But are you here today and you say, I want to start that relationship today? I want something new to happen in my life. I want to meet Jehovah McCaddish, and I want that personal, intimate relationship with Him that I can have no other way except through Christ. Just slip up your hand, just quickly. Let me pray with you. Anybody here today? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. I see your hand. This is going to change your world. It's going to change your future. Anybody else before we pray? Father, this morning, thank you for your word and thank you for the Holy Spirit that makes that word understandable and come to life for us. And thank you for reaching out to us as you have with the power of your love. Thank you for the promises that give us a hope and a future. And thank you most of all for Jesus Christ who came, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross. For my sin, for our sin, rose again from the grave, is in heaven at the right hand of God at this very moment, making a place for us that secures our eternal future so that one day we will see you face to face and know you as you really are and to be nothing to keep that from happening. We give you praise for that. I pray, Lord, that you bring about a transformation in these lives starting in the very interior in the heart. Create that change there. And, Lord, let us blossom and sprout and to grow into the most beautiful relationship they've ever experienced in their lifetime. Give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen.